morning. You're listening to WNHHLP 103.5 FM, New Haven's home for community radio. I'm Mubaraka Ibrahim, and this is Mornings with Mubaraka, where we talk about national issues from a local level through a lens of diversity. I am this morning still processing a lot of information over the last few days. So, I'm going to talk about, we're going to talk a little bit about the National Museum of African American History and Culture, um, which my family and I got a chance to visit. We're going to talk about the um, what the visit to the museum is like, as well as I'm going to take some phone calls and we're going to talk about what do we do with this uh, memory of the history of America. So... Over the weekend, my family and I got the opportunity to visit the National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington, D.C., dedicated to telling the story and history of African Americans from Africa to modern day America. There's a quote on the wall there by the museum director, Lonnie Bunch, and it says, There is nothing more powerful than a people, than a nation steeped in its history. And there are few as noble as honoring our ancestors by remembering. The the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture is a 400,000 square foot building that stands on a five acre site on the National Mall near the Washington Monument. The museum tells the story of Africans in America in the order of chronological history. Each floor spans a time period from pre-slavery in Africa to the transatlantic slave trade as you um, come up to the floor. So it begins in the basement at this, at this point in time. And then each, then the next floor is um, throughout the slavery period. And then there's another floor that, uh, depicts the civil rights era and then the last floor which is at um, it, which is um, the highest floor there is the modern day music and culture and um, TV and uh, of course the last display before you <laughs> exit is about the presidency and election of President Barack Obama although the first after Although the first African-American president, President Barack Obama, had the honor of being in the Oval Office on September 24th, 2016, when the museum opened, it was actually authorized by Congress under President George W. Bush 13 years ago. During the grand opening of the museum, President Bush commented, a great nation does not hide its history. It faces its flaws and corrects them. The price of our union was America's original sin. If the price of the union was America's original sin, then the museum displays its sin incarnate in all its ugliness spelled out in red scarlet letters on white robes, literally. Within the museum resides a slave block at which General Andrew Jackson and Henry Clay spoke from in 1830, and KKK hoods next to pictures of lynchings that were trimmed in red to indicate, as the sign pointed to, 
could be disturbing images and not appropriate for young children. Walking through the museum, you're taking taken on an emotional roller coaster as the experience of enslaved Africans seemed almost palpable. It's not like going to say the Yale Museum of British Art in which you can marvel at creativity and the contributions to the human spirit spirit, but rather you're left in disbelief of the evils that the human beings are capable of. My teenagers who are 18 and 16 liking walking through most of the museum to walking in a line at a wake. There's a noticeable silence through the floors where slave chains lay behind glass and plaques of information about the grim life of enslaved people. It was as if everyone was mourning. Black, white, Chinese, Arab all walked in solemn, slow processions. Despite knowing about slavery and its atrocities, I still found myself learning more, like the average lifespan of a slave on a sugar plantation was seven years, according to one of the information panels. So let's listen to an audio clip that are placed strategically in different places in the museum. It's a story of a slave, a pretty girl that was sold. The woman had lots of children. She was so long. Is it a sign? She was a good breed. I can see that old block now. My cousin Eliza was a pretty girl, really good looking. Her master was the father. When the girls in the big house had bows coming to see them, they'd ask, who is that pretty girl? So they decided to get rid of her right away. The day they sold her will always be To be bid off and looked at. Mom and Liza both cried when she was being shown. That was one of several audio and video clips that was at different stations throughout the museum. The experience of the museum is exactly that. It's an experience. And I was in awe of how the museum itself was put together. Now, if you go, which the museum is free, so you have to reserve tickets online, and they're sold out for about six months now. Um, The last time I checked the website the other day, they said they had no more tickets before March 17th, so uh, you have to reserve your tickets far in advance. And that's actually, after going, the best way to plan a trip like this. It is a very, it is a very large museum, and they have taken advantage to every nook, cranny, and corner. So you can easily, we spent three hours in the museum, but it can easily be five or six hours to make your way from the bottom floor all the way to the top Part of it is the 
way that the displays are set out, they're set out in visual form, audio. There are uh, there there are clips of uh, of movies that are played on loop, both on television screens. Some of them are uh, projected onto the walls. There are rooms where you would think that this was the entire display and then you turn to the right or to the left and then there's another room that just has information about a particular time period or a, a theme of a group. It was certainly both overwhelming and profound because when you go into the museum, there is, the they start by telling the story of pre-slavery Africa, nations of commerce and global trade and kings. We recognize Arabic texts to indicate the position of Islam in Africa before slavery. We recognize the story of great kings like Mansa Musa, who in today, even in today's time, would have been considered the richest person in history. Um, all of this was the pre-slavery Africa. And then it goes into the transatlantic, transatlantic slave trade. And in this transatlantic slave trade, it was really... I guess that's when you sort of start feeling the grips of your environment because it spoke to how people looked at slavery. There was one quote that I remember, and it was quite disturbing, but also kind of a lens into the way that people thought. There was a quote, and I can't remember the person that it was quoted, but it was on you know, a piece of a piece of glass in which there was a display behind and it said, although slavery and I may be paraphrasing, although slavery was hard on the enslaved people, it made great financial sense. Right. So it and the clips talked about that not just people dealt in slavery, but the churches dealt in slavery and Uh, the economic system was built upon slavery. I think that that was probably one of the most profound statements that I found inside of the museum. So there's lots of things, and I'm sure that everybody will pick something that, that sticks with them to know that it was really about money. It was about not just having people that would do that would benefit people financially, not because of their humanness, not connecting to them, not considering them even human beings. And that made it very solemn. So as you walk through and you and you just and you listen and you see and you experience the things that went on during those times. Um, and, and it continues. So you, you, you start off with a little bit of pride, you know, you see the, as an African American, you know, you see the condition of Africa or the, the, the flourishing of Africa before slavery. And 
then it quickly goes into um, the slavery period and and you feel a, a rush of emotions. It was certainly an emotional roller coaster. And um, so today's Wednesday. We went on Monday and I'm still processing, processing a lot of things that um, that I heard, a lot of the things that I saw and. I think that I'll be processing it for a while after the um, after we went to the museum, we then went out to lunch and my teenagers and and we kind of felt like we need to we needed to debrief them. Right. Because it's a lot to take in. And certainly if you go with children, I went with teenagers who are, you know, in our house, very well aware of the history of Africans and in the enslavement period and civil rights and where we are today. Um, And even they needed to process and to to debrief and to express themselves. Right. And so we began to ask them questions like, so what did you think? So did you learn anything? Um, What was some of the things that you were reminded of? What do you think has to be done now? And so that's an interesting conversation in itself. And I saw people there with younger children. Um, I think I saw a little girl. She looked like she couldn't have been older than six or seven. And as a parent, I'm thinking, like, how do you have that conversation with them? So those are some of the things that we're going to talk about Um, And I want to get your feedback. So if you're listening, we are going to start taking phone calls in about 10 minutes. Um, And I want you to call in and I want you to tell me um, what you think uh, is the lessons in the history. You can call in at 203-872-7366. A part of this experience was seeing the transition of the history of African-Americans. And one of the things that particularly struck me was the civil rights period. So what we're going to do is we are going to listen to a clip, another audio clip from the museum. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Mornings with Mubaraka on WNHHLP 103.5 FM, New Haven's home for community radio, also streaming live on newhavenindependent.org. And today we're reflecting on my recent visit to the National Museum of African American History and Culture. Throughout the museum, there are several stations that talk about, that give you audio clips on loop, as well as video projections um, to tell you about the particular uh, tell you uh, about the particular um, time period or topic that it's talking about. And this is a clip from the civil rights era. I have a dream. What you and I have got to do is get involved. We are sick and tired of being sick and tired. 
So so that was a clip you just heard from that's played on loop. It's a collection of sound bites from African-American leaders during the civil rights era. And I think this era probably struck me the most. And it struck me the most because just about everything that was displayed could have been yesterday in Ferguson or in Detroit. Or in Chicago. And that was actually quite disheartening. Disheartening because to see the little, how little progress we have made from this era. So there's an entire section about schooling and, uh, and about the, in, uh, the unequal education of uh, black children. And we know, particularly here in Connecticut, that uh, we have some of the uh, the worst segregation and uh, racial segregation in schools here in Connecticut for various reasons. Red line laws, just where people dwell, the changing from uh, um, community schools. Uh, we have a lot of, we, you know, we, we have a lot of that still here in America. And so that is part of that is actually something that has continued since that era. There was another quote by a, a, a female um, African-American civil rights leader where she said, we have to get to the point where the sons of black mothers lives are just as valuable as the sons of white mothers. And that was particularly profound. Of course, we want, you know, it makes you think of, uh, of Trayvon Martin um, and Tamir Rice. Um, and to see that we are still in the same place where black lives don't matter as much as white lives in our justice system, in our society. To hear and see the displays of the inequality in in housing and in education and in the justice system, it there was a um, a room that was specifically around the anti lynching campaigns that took 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 place. Um, all of that was it, it, it takes some processing. So it's certainly not a museum that you can um, to rush. You can rush through, even though I have to admit that the last uh, we were there for three hours and the kids started getting hungry. So we kind of like quickly walked through <laughs> the last the last few displays. Um, so then so now we're in the civil rights era. And so now we start getting a little bit less solemn, I should say, after you pass the, the civil rights era. So once you're uh, on the third floor, 
they we then come to displays about African-American regiments fighting in uh, World War Two. And we come to displays about uh, the integration of schools and the integration of sports and all of the the ways in which African-Americans then began to incorporate themselves into the fabric of American society and the struggle to do that. During this this time period, there are displays of uh, um, there's displays of uh, uh, lots of artifacts. So here is some of the the really interesting things that um, which makes the museum so real is that a lot of the artifacts are were donated by the uh, family members and the people themselves. So I was reading a story online about one of the descendants of Harriet Tubman and how he had received her shawl inside of the mail um, because he had inherited it and he didn't know what to do with it. And somebody told him to sell it, but he said that would not honor her that that would actually dishonor her. And so it sat in a box under his bed until he decided to do what to do with it. And then when he heard about the museum, he just decided to donate it to the museum. So you actually get to see the actual shawl that she wore. Um, There are dresses from the period that was the actual dresses of there's one wedding dress, um, of a daughter of a very prominent African-American businesswoman um, during this period. And, and so it, it was very, so that actually made it more real. So this wasn't just stories or, or folk tales. It was act, it made it that much real. There's um, also a slave cabin that was reconstructed there um, uh, from the original um, um, period. Um, from the actual wood, it was like so. It it made everything so real because you actually get to see uh, that the items, you know, and it, and it was very interesting. So uh, um, I'm gonna I'm jumping a little bit, but w- when it came to um, art and culture, you what was really interesting is you actually saw the clothes of uh, what did, what did they had they had uh. They had clothes from Stevie Wonder and uh, Ray Charles and like actual outfits. And so I was noticing, wow, wow, this person was thin. Wow, this person was really tall. This person was short. Like you actually for people that you've never seen in in real life, you actually see their clothes. And and some of it was very dramatic (laughs) with sequence and little things dingling and hanging hanging so that that in itself was also a really interesting part of the experience so um in the civil rights area one of the things that then also of course i am going to notice is they had uh several displays about this um islam in in the civil rights era um and the nation of islam they had um um and there's a section that talks that 
is a display about the the contribution of religion in black history. So, you know, a few weeks ago, I actually saw Birth of the Nation and on display in the museum is um, Nat Turner's actual Bible. So that was that was that was an interesting connection. They also had their um, the small the miniature Quran that um, Elijah Muhammad would carry. They had pictures of the original FOI hats and degrees from um, Islamic University um, run by the Nation of Islam. So that was actually really interesting. Um, the one thing that I wish that they 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 had a little bit more and hopefully it can, you know, be incorporated at some point or maybe a, a part of the a presentation is the contribution of um, Sunni Islam to to the era, because every Muslim in America, every African-American Muslim was not a part of the Nation of Islam. That is like a really big stereotype. <laughs> and the museum does not distinguish between that. And, get you know, giving it credit that it is a lot of information and they can't get every single thing. But I had hoped that they had showed a little bit of diversity because it made African-American Muslims seem um, monolithic. So we're not one big you know, <laughs> one big blob of this is what Islam is for African-American Muslims. Um, so that so that was one of one of the critiques that I would that I would say for the museum uh, of its display of. Um, of Islam, the history of Islam in the African-American community. Um, when it also talked a, a, a little bit about the uh, progression of religion in the African-American community and after slavery, particularly during the civil rights era, um, Christianity, one of the uh, one of the progressions of Christianity was the development of new uh, one display. Um, it had information about the development of new branches of Christianity. And that was actually part of the freedom of African-Americans is that they did not have to follow Christianity in the way that the slave master taught it. So you began to have Baptists and Protestants and different versions of it as a part of their freedom. Right. So this was was a way in which they displayed their freedom, their their freedom to choose to worship in the way that they wanted to worship and to believe in the way that they wanted to believe. So I found that that was really interesting as well. Um, if you're just tuning in and you want to chime in on this conversation, uh, you're listening to WNHHLP 103.5 FM, New Haven's home for community radio, also streaming live on newhavenindependent.org. This is Mornings with Mubaraka, and today we are talking and reflecting on my recent visit to the National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington, D.C. If you want to get in on the conversation, you can give me a call. Give me a call and let me know um, if you visit it. Let me know uh, if you have a story to tell about African-American history in your family, 
um, or in your community, you can call us at 203-872-7366. Part of, oh, I'm sorry, 7356. Maybe that is why there is uh, no calls because I'm giving you the wrong number. Um, so the number is 203-872-7356. You can give us a call and, uh, give me a story about African-American history in, in your family. Um, so we are on, uh, civil rights era of, um, so the fifties and the sixties, um, part of, this display was lots of audio and I, and I'm sure part of it of, of that audio is the fact that um, we have so much, you know, media from that era. One of the things about the, um, the civil rights display is it, there's a lot, there's a lot of information about the different movements. There's a, there's a large um, black Panther um, section that just talks about the, the, the movement of the Black Panthers and um, what they what they uh, what they what they pushed for and the changes that they made throughout their um, and the changes that they made throughout their uh, their time throughout their movement. And that was interesting. And so as we go up on the floor, so now we're going to the next level and it is such a rich experience of music and art. I mean, it was really, really fascinating. So you walk into the initial room and, and, and I was actually so, um, what do you call it? I was actually so excited and and moved. I, I did a quick little Facebook live video to show there's like this, this, uh, this circle of screens that is hanging from the ceiling. And there are clips of uh, music. You hear the Aven, which is the Muslim call to prayer. You hear uh, spoken word. You hear praise music and jazz music and hip hop music. And, and it's like this, this, this clip showing how African-Americans use their voice and their bodies to both celebrate and mourn, I think is probably the best way to say it. You, they celebrated and mourned. It was a, there's a quote on the wall that talked about, um, that talked about how dance for African-Americans have never been just dance. It's a form of communication. And when you go through the displays and you walk through and you see all of the things displayed, you understand that so much better, right? So you have um, um, the the songs of the 60s and 70s, many of which were actually protest in ways. So if we think about um, um, Strange Fruit, 
uh, if we think about this, uh, which was was protested by people who had who who didn't want to hear it. But when she would when she would perform um, because it talked about lynching. Right. So it was a form of communication. And then it gets into the era of um, uh, the 70s and then we go into the 80s and there is an outfit for Michael Jackson. We go into the 90s where we see Whitney Houston's outfit. Um, there's a dress there. Um, they even had a, a, an entire corner dedicated to hip hop. Right. So I personally am a um, I am a salt and pepper fan. And so <laughs> there was a nice little display that uh, that talked about salt and pepper. Um, there is an entire banner. It, it must be like, I would say, maybe 12 feet long. That was the public enemy banner that they would take on the, to their concerts. So that was actually that gives gave me a little bit of throwback to my teenage years. So I was I was kind of excited when I saw that. <laughs> um, when you when you go through uh, the area the era on music and media, there is also um, an entire L, um, area that talked about that that displayed uh, the evolution of black people in television, and so. From the time of Sammy Davis Jr. to all the way to the Cosby show and good times and um, and beyond. And so as I'm walking through it, my personal connection was they have an entire display on um, that on the Oprah. Oprah has her own like display. And one of the things that is on the display is the yellow couch. So if anybody knows anything about Oprah, there has been the yellow couch is kind of like that is if you get to sit on a, if a, if a celebrity sits on the yellow couch, it's like they're made. Right. <laughs> um, and I got to sit on the yellow couch. So, you know, nine years ago, I'm sure you guys have heard this story a hundred times. You know, I was on the Oprah show, um, she did a show called 30 something in America where she profiled women across America in their thirties. And I was the job you'd never expect because I was, was, or, and am a, a, a personal trainer owned a fitness studio and I dress in full hijab. And so I got 10 minutes and 36 seconds to sit on the yellow couch. <laughs> and now that her show has ended after 30 years of interviewing everybody from Michael Jackson to um, Whitney Houston to presidents and and queens, Queen Noor from Jordan, we, you know, I got to I got to sit there and I do hold the unique status of being the only African-American Muslim woman to ever sit on the yellow couch to be interviewed by Oprah Winfrey. So I had to take a picture in front of the yellow couch. So now that is my uh, my connection to the historic <laughs> African-American <laughs> museum uh, display is the actual couch that I sat on sits inside of the museum. So that was actually um that was, it was that was a little moment of being like, oh look, personal connection, a little personal connection moment. Um, 
uh, upon so in her display it taught you know it also has like a dress that one of her dresses it talked about her her rise and her being one of the the first um african-american women to um rise to the status both in media and financially as she did um and then we can then you continue on towards uh um there's a display there um, towards the end on the presidency of and the election of President Barack Obama. Um, the dress that uh, the First Lady wore at one of the inaugural um, balls is on display inside of that particular display, as well as a collection of headlines that um and papers um that was produced during his election and um when he won and so i think we all can have like this personal connection to that particular display because we can say you know during our lifetime we we literally from the bottom of the museum to the top (laughs) we have at least gotten this far so that is actually, I guess, probably one of the um, one of the highlights. Definitely, definitely, probably the biggest highlight of the of the museum. So you go through this emotional roller coaster. You you know you you kind of walk in the solemn procession, but in the end, you come out to uh, pride and joy. And so the the roller coaster is certainly one of ups and downs throughout the entire museum. And so on a practical level, if you decide to go, um, and I recommend that everybody go, it is the Museum of African-American History and Culture, but it is not a museum that only African-Americans should want to go to. I think everybody should want to go. And we actually saw um, a, a diverse group. You know, we saw white people and, and, and black people and Chinese people and Arab people and um, people of lots of different races and ethnicities in the museum, which is excellent. I think what happens, um, um, and I, I think the reason why it's important for people who are not African-Americans to go is because it's going to give you give you a um, at least a, a, a view into the lens of the history of African-Americans in America and why we can't just forget that history. You know, I, I had a, a sort of Facebook conversation with um with uh, um, one of my Facebook uh, friends. Well, prior to this, we've had great interaction and we continue to have great interaction. Um, but I, I posted a video clip of the history of racism in nursery rhymes and how many of the nursery rhymes actually have a racist history. And um, her comment was that she wishes that it would just go away. Right. And so after, some of the the inter the um the some of the 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 exchange that we had was that's offensive right and that's offensive for uh, 
us to have suffered so much that African-Americans to have suffered so much and people want us just to forget, want us to just go away, to pretend like it didn't exist and does not still exist. That is not a solution to the problem of racism and injustice. Forgetting your history, forgetting how America has treated and continues to treat African-Americans in this country is not a solution to injustice in America. The interesting thing was uh, this particular friend, she actually had an adoptive son who was African-American. And I think that that's also important. That's also another reason why everybody needs to go. Because you can't understand the history by having a black friend or just having, even I as an African-American learn things. This being African-American is not monolithic. There is a lot of variety of it. You know, the Creole culture is a, a, is a rich culture of information and, and dance and food. I don't know a lot about that culture because that's not my heritage, right? I'm not from the Louisiana area. And so even I, as an African-American, got to experience different versions of what it means to be black in America. So we have kind of like it, and I liken it, I liken it um, to much like a river, right? So we have this, this unfortunate, quite narrow beginning in America as enslaved people. But we have branched out to have such a diverse life experience and heritage within America. And so you can't understand that without knowing about it. Right. And we can't forget that. And, you know, one of the one of the comments that I, that I made in that exchange was uh, no one would ever tell Jewish people to forget about the Holocaust. It was a 12-year experience, horrible experience. But African Americans suffered for hundreds of years and still suffer. But p- some people think it's okay to tell us to forget. Why do African-Americans have to forget? We can't go on. We cannot progress if we don't remember. That is the importance of this museum. We can't create a world or a country in which there is ever any justice for African-Americans if we don't know where the injustice started. If we don't recognize when you have an illness, we have to recognize the source of the illness, right? So if you have an infection and you, in a cut, putting a bandage on the cut is not going to cure the infection. You have to recognize that it's infected You have to take in the medicine. And sometimes that medicine is nasty. Sometimes it doesn't taste good. But you have to 
take it in in order to cure the infection, in order to heal. And so knowing the story helps us to develop the medicine for the infection of injustice for African-American people. That's the importance of this museum. My, you know, my son said to me, he said, Mommy, why are you always taking us to this kind of stuff? Why, why are you always reminding us? We know we black. And <laughs> I told him, I said, because you cannot forget the struggle of African-American people. Because if you forget the struggle, then at worst, you will become ungrateful and complacent in where we are. Because we have not achieved equality or, or justice in America. And if you forget about where we came from and the source of that injustice, then you will, we will never achieve justice. And so for me, particularly for young people, it's important that we educate them and remind them. You know, prior to going to... Um, Prior to going to the uh, the museum last the, the the week prior last week, I took my 16 year old son to hear Mahmoud Abdurraouf, a former NBA player who protested um, the national anthem 20 years ago in the NBA. Right, 20 years ago, he came and he spoke at um, the Yale Loose Hall, um, and. I took him to speak and we watched a documentary of his life in the NBA and how it pretty much destroyed his career. He ended up having to go play in Europe just to, um, um, to be able to play. He was blackballed after he would not um, stand for the national anthem um, or he would not come out. He would come out from the locker room after the national anthem. And so I, I brought my 16-year-old, and it was a very, very um, inspiring speech. Uh, it was certainly one that was very motivating my 16-year-old. Um, I guess he gave, he gave Mahmoud kind of like the, the ultimate teenager compliment. He said, that guy was really motivated. And it was like everything that he said was like a Tumblr quote. <laughs> that, that's like the ultimate compliment from a teenager, right? Talking about being motivated. Um, and so he got to take a picture with Mahmoud and he took it to school. He was like, can I took it with my camera? He's like, can you send me that picture so that I can show my friends that I that I that I met him? And so the next day I said, so what did your friends think about you meeting Mahmoud? Did they know who he was? And she was like, no, they didn't even know who Colin Kaepernick was because <laughs> I was telling him to explain to him. He's like Colin Kaepernick 20 years ago. And. I said, really? He's like, no. He's like, I had to tell him who Colin Kaepernick was. And I looked at him and I said, and I bet you these same friends, they share videos of police brutality on social media. And he is like, yeah, they do. And in my mind, I thought to myself, that must be a very hopeless feeling. That must be a very hopeless feeling for you to constantly see injustice and you don't even know about 
any type of solution or anything that's being done about it. So protest isn't a solution, but it brings awareness. It is something that uh, that can bring about the conversation of solutions. Um, so I thought that that was and, and, and I actually kind of felt bad, felt bad for the for the for the teenagers that they were not aware of what was going on uh, oh, with bringing about any type of solution, right? Because Colin Kaepernick, he's not just protesting. He has donated money to organizations that uh, that fight injustice. It, uh, recently, he started a, a, a youth program that that is it looks a lot like a recreation of the Black Panthers movement. Um, and so these are solutions. He's not just saying um, uh, injustice happens and this is how we should protest, but he's also saying this is how we make a difference. One of the things that Mahmoud um, mentioned, he said, young people have to learn their history because it empowers them. And with empowerment is change. Um, so the story of... African American is America's story with all its pains and joys and struggles and triumphs. You can't tell the story of America without the story of black people forced upon these shores. We are to America as the color of the ink in the letters of the page. If slavery is America's original sin, as President George Bush indicated, then remembering the story of enslaved people, the whole story is her confession. The sacrament of penance has not been paid as America has yet to break her addiction to the sin of injustice. The museum is not just a part of the penance, but rather a pew in the church on the way to redemption. It's a way of honoring our ancestors by remembering them. It is a lens into injustice as a way to correct it. It is the recognition of the pain of black people in America so that we may one day find a cure to discrimination, inequality, and systematic racism that continues to wash our existence in the reality in which we experience it. We must tell the story, our story, the story of America. I want to thank you for listening. You've been listening to Mornings with Mubaraka on WNHHLP 103.5 FM, also streaming live on newhavenindependent.org. You can find the podcasts of this and all our previous shows on iClouds and iTunes. Thank you for listening. I'm Mubaraka Ibrahim, encouraging you to be a voice and not an echo. Mm-hmm.